Thank you for listening to Crossroads Community Church of Jefferson Hills. At Crossroads, our mission is to be the church by sharing and showing the love of Christ and inviting others to be recipients of Christ's love. Now, here is this week's message from Pastor Floyd Hughes. Um, but as for right now, we're continuing walking through the book of 1 John, um, uh, written by the Apostle John. Uh, and just to do a quick recap, it's a book that John lists. There are several reasons. He says over and over again, if you've been reading through it, um, I'm writing this because I'm writing this because I'm writing this because. But some of the main reasons that he lists for writing it uh, is this, uh, to inspire fellowship and joy amongst believers, right? We could all use some more joy in our lives, right? All, right, all the people who did not raise their hand definitely need some more joy in your life. Yeah, okay. Uh, but he also says that, because when we think of joy, we tend to confuse it with happiness, right? Happiness is situational. Joy comes from God. So we can experience joy even while we're going through harsh situations like some of the things we prayed for earlier. People going through medical situations can still experience the joy of God. People going through financial situations can still experience the joy of God. People going through hard times can still experience the joy of God despite the situation. So he says, I'm also writing it, yes, to inspire fellowship and joy, but also to stop habitual sin. Those, those sinful acts that draw us away from God that we tend to, uh, what's the word, gloss over and justify. He says, I'm writing so that we can put a stop to those, right? Uh, but he also says, and we're going to talk about this today, he's writing to refute false teaching. Uh, specifically, uh, as we talk about it today, teachings about the return of Jesus Christ, but also especially, uh, and he doesn't mention this, but the false teachings that many people are hearing today uh, that, that are absolutely contradictory to the word of God, but yet people are believing them and swallowing them whole. And then he says, lastly, this, I'm writing to remind us that we have eternal life, that we are eternal beings, that the end result is we'll get to spend an eternity together with God. Now, the last few weeks, uh, we did talk about the love of God, right? God's unconditional love, uh, because it uses the word agape. There's several words that are used um, to describe the type of love that's talked about in the Bible. There is uh, eros for romantic love, like husband and wife. Uh, we didn't talk about this, but there's a word storge, which is for familial love, like how parents love their children, children love their parents. Uh, there is phileo love, brotherly love, like you know how we as brothers in Christ love one another and are supposed to get along, right? But then there's this word agape, which is the unconditional love and devotion that humanity is unable to show without experiencing the love of God, right? Uh, so he says, uh, uh, or we said over the last couple of weeks, we talked about God's condition, unconditional love. Uh, next week, we're going to talk about God's plan to help his people stop habitual sins. Because God doesn't want us to stay in this place where we're doing things that violate his morality, but then we're calling ourselves Christians. So he has a plan to help us uh, remove and to stop that. But today, we're going to talk about the return of Jesus Christ to the earth for his people. 
Now, uh, we're not going to go into a whole lot of detail about every little thing that's supposed to happen leading up to the return of Christ. But last year, I think it was in April, so almost about a year ago, uh, we did a series called As in the Days of Noah, where Jesus says his return will be just as it was in the days of Noah. And we walked through over, I forget how many, three, four weeks, talking about what that looked like. So I'm not going to spend a lot of time going over every single detail today, because that's not the emphasis of what John is talking about. But we will see what he's talking about. So if you have a Bible, open it up to the book of 1 John, chapter 2, verse 18. And if you're using one of the Bibles that we have, uh, that is on page 862. And I'm kind of flipping and turning there with you. All right, so in John chapter... Two, on verse 18, it starts this way, Dear children, and that's a term of endearment, this is the last hour. And as you have heard that the Antichrist is coming, even now many Antichrists, with an S, have come. And this is how we know it is the last hour. So um, I'm going to dig into this a little bit because he uses the phrase last hour, and that's a reference to the end of the last days, Right? There's this term in the Bible where it's called the last days, and the last days actually started in Acts chapter 2. We tend to think, oh, you know, and we'll talk about this. People keep saying, oh, when is it coming? When is the turn of Christ coming? When is it coming? But if you look with specificity at the language they use, we don't give an exact date of when he's returning, but we're told exactly what to look for. Like we know, you know, when such and such happens, this is going to happen. We now, we know when, you know, its name Putsatani Phil sees his shadow. It actually means nothing because it doesn't mean anything. But we know, you know, once we get into and flowers start blooming, oh, we're getting closer to spring. We have ways of telling when we're getting closer to a season of things. And in Acts chapter 2, right, stay, stay in 1 John, this is what happened. This is after the death, the burial, and the resurrection of Jesus Christ, right? Then Peter stood up with the 11, raised his voice, addressed the crowd, Fellow Jews and all of you who live in Jerusalem, let me explain this to you. Listen carefully to what I say. These people are not drunk, as you suppose. It's only nine in the morning. Though this is what was spoken by the prophet Joel. And the situation is that all the uh, uh, disciples at that time, about 120 of them, were together. They were praying, and they were filled with the Holy Spirit, and they began speaking in other tongues. Right. So all the people... Imagine if you're downtown at Pickle Fest, Pickleburg, whatever it's called, and you hear, you know, hey, uh, you, all of a sudden you hear this group of people, some are speaking German, some are speaking Spanish, some are speaking in Arabic, some are speaking all these different languages, and you're like, how are they doing that? Right? That's what they were experiencing. All of a sudden they were speaking all these languages, and then Peter stands up and says, hey, this isn't because they're drunk, because someone said they got to be drunk. It's 9 in the morning, these people, you know, it's pickle fest, people do whatever they do. He's like, they're not drunk. This is actually the fulfillment of a prophecy, a prophecy made by the prophet Joel. Now, everyone at that time would have known the prophet Joel. They also would have known that prophecy was made about 800 years before this takes place. And here's the prophecy that Joel made. In the last days, God says, I will pour out my spirit on all people. Your sons and daughters will prophesy. Your young men will see visions, 
and your old men will dream dreams. The reason this was a prophecy is because in the Old Testament, God didn't give his Holy Spirit to everyone he believed. He would pick a person or a group of people or specific prophets, fill them with his spirit, and they would go out and do God's will. In the Old Testament, God would also remove his spirit from those people who were not doing his will, whom he had previously given his spirit to. So now they were confused. It was like, here's this whole group of people who are filled with the spirit of God, right? And so Peter explains, this is the fulfillment of prophecy. So when this happened in Acts chapter 2, that was the start of what we call the last days. Now, here's the other thing. In the last days, things are supposed to get progressively worse, right? So in the book of 2 Peter, this is what Peter says. Above all, you must understand in the last days, which we're now in, scoffers will come, scoffing, and here's what's going to happen. They're going to follow their own evil desires. So it's not just people who are going to mock and scoff about whether or not Christ is going to return. It's people that are going to be doing progressively more evil things. right? But he also says this, and we see this today. These same people, they're going to say, where is this coming, he promised. Ever since our ancestors died, everything goes on as it has since the beginning of creation. And any time, at least for me, that I talk about the last days or the end times or something about the book of Revelation, I will see people go and post comments, yeah, people have been saying that for thousands of years. That's exactly the point. Because at his first coming, people had been saying that for thousands and thousands of years, that the Messiah is going to come, that the Messiah is going to come. And then when Jesus came, they missed it, and they were like, this? This is, this is the Messiah? I thought he'd be taller or whatever. They were like, this, this, I'm not accepting that this is the Messiah. And they missed it, right? So this whole time period of the last days, uh, we're in what is called the last hour, meaning we're at the end of the last days. We're getting closer and closer and closer to the return of Christ. But here's the other thing, uh, because it talks about the Antichrist and the Antichrist with an S. So the Antichrist uh, is specific to a person. And it's, it's exactly what it means. Even in the Greek, it's Antichristos, the opposite or the opposition to Christ. Uh, in the Old Testament, in the book of Daniel, he's referred to as the little horn and the beast. Uh, and in the New Testament, he's referred to as the man of lawlessness, or what the King James calls the man of perdition, or the man who is doomed uh, to either failure or death. Right? And this is what uh, Paul writes about it in 2 Thessalonians. He says, concerning the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ and our being gathered to him, We ask you, brothers and sisters, not to become easily unsettled or alarmed by the teaching allegedly from us, whether by a prophecy or word of mouth or letter, asserting that the day of the Lord has already come. Because there were people going around saying the day of the Lord, the day of the Lord is the day of Christ's second return, not the rapture where he physically comes on the earth. And just as, uh, I don't know how many of you remember, but when COVID hit, people were like, this is the tribulation. We're in the end times. This is the end. And we're past that, and we're still here. And then when the war with Israel and and Hamas broke out, people are like, this is it. We're in the tribulation. It's over. And yet, you know, we're still here. 
They said the same thing when war broke out with Russia. They're going to say the same thing the next tragic event that comes. And what Paul says is, hey, don't let anyone deceive you in any way for that day. The physical return of Jesus Christ to the earth will not come until the rebellion, and we'll talk about that in a minute, occurs, and the man of lawlessness is revealed, the man doomed to destruction. The man of lawlessness that it's talking about is the Antichrist. So here's the thing. No matter what you believe or what you're told, if anyone tells you, we're in that time, we're, we're in the book of Revelation, we're in the great tribulation, main question. Where's the Antichrist? Because he's the one that ushers in that time. Uh, and Paul even says that. He says he, the Antichrist, will oppose, or the man of perdition, or man doomed to destruction, he will oppose and exalt himself over everything that is called God or is worship so that he sets himself up in God's temple proclaiming himself to be God. He says, don't you remember when I was with you, I used to tell you these things. He was with them for three weeks, so apparently he thought in that three-week time period, it's important enough that you not only know the basics of Christianity, that you understand the gospel, but you also understand about the return of Christ. It should be foundational understanding for Christians. And he says, and now you know what is holding him, him meaning the Antichrist, back so that he, the Antichrist, may be revealed at the proper time. For the secret power of lawlessness is already at work. And that secret power of lawlessness that's already at work are the Antichrists. Yes. All of those people, not the one Antichrist who's going to do all this, but all of those people who are opposed to the things of Christ. Right? And he says, but the one who now holds it back, utter and complete lawlessness, the one who holds it back will continue to do so till he is taken out of the way. And what he means is there's going to become a point or time where Jesus says, you know what? The one or he that's holding back complete and utter lawlessness and, and the Antichrist coming to power is God's Holy Spirit. Some people say he's talking about the church, but nowhere in the Bible is the church referred to as he. But God's Holy Spirit is referred to as he because he is a part of the Godhead. And when he, God's Holy Spirit, is removed and taken away, guess what happens to all the people that are filled with God's Holy Spirit? We get removed and taken away. And so there is no, no check. There is no one trying to ensure there's justice or morality or God's truth on the world. And it just becomes like Lord of the Flies, utter chaos, progressively worse, until the Antichrist steps in, offers a semblance of peace for three and a half years. And then after three and a half years, it gets worse than it ever has gotten before. And then Paul says this, and then the lawless one will be revealed once the God's Holy Spirit is removed, whom the Lord Jesus will overthrow with the breath of his mouth and destroy by the splendor of his coming. All right, drop down to verse 19 back in 1 John. So he says, this is how we know it is the last hour. And then he says this, this is also one of the ways that we'll know and we'll talk about it. He says, they went out from us, but they did not really belong to us. For if they had belonged to us, they would have remained with us. 
but their going showed that none of them belonged to us. And he's talking about this thing called the great falling away. So I'm going to go back to 2 Thessalonians, where we just were, but I'm going to put it in the amplified version so you can see I'm not making this up. Uh, in 2 Thessalonians, it says this. Let no one deceive or beguile you in any way. We just read this. For that day, the day of the Lord, will not come except the apostasy comes first. In other words, unless the predicted great falling away of those who have professed to be Christians come. And then the man of lawlessness will be revealed. So there is going to be, and we're in the midst of this now, this huge falling away from Christianity where people, not just in America, and I know people pinpoint America, all over the world are kind of walking away from their faith. And what, what, what John says is, hey, those people right, that went out from us, those people, they're, they're part of that great falling away, and they didn't really belong to us. And here Paul explains that a little bit more because he says the Holy Spirit, so again, this isn't just some prophecy by a prophet, the Holy Spirit distinctly and expressly declares that in the latter times, same phrase as the last days, which we're in now, some will turn away from the faith, and this is key, giving attention to deluding and seducing spirits and doctrines that demons teach. According to not Paul, according to not some prophet, but according to the Holy Spirit of God, all of that progressive, anti-biblical, against Christ teaching that's going on in the world right now is being done by demons, and it's being done through hypocrisy and pretensions of liars whose consciences are seared. So long story short, there are people who, who, who don't believe that Jesus is real. They teach that he was just an analogy. There are people who believe that you can live any way that you want to live as long as you say you love God, even if you go home and smack your wife, kick the dog, pour the fishbowl out and laugh at the fish while it dies. You can still call yourself a Christian as long as you say, I love God. And what the Holy Spirit says, all of those people teaching that, because there are people teaching that, but those people are teaching it because they're teaching the doctrines of demons. And for those people who say, well, Floyd, you're being weird. There's no such things as demons. You cannot believe that there is a God who spoke the universe into existence, created the heavens and the earth, sent his son to die for us, and not believe that demons are real or that Satan is real. Because the same God who did all that tells us that they are. And the same God, the Holy Spirit, says that's where those false doctrines come from. They come from the spiritual realm, right? Uh, drop down to verse 20. So Paul continues after saying that they went out from us. Here's why they left us. That's that great falling away. He says, but you have an anointing from the Holy One, and all of you know the truth. And he's contrasting, and this is going to sound mean-spirited, and it's not. He's contrasting. He said they went out from us, and they left because they didn't really belong to us. But you, you're still here because you have the spirit of God and know the truth. In essence, saying, hey, all those folks that left, 
Most of them weren't spirit-filled believers anyway. Most of them were not Christians, even though they called themselves. And I talk to people all the time that say, well, I used to be a Christian. I went to church 24-7. I served in a worship choir. I did this, I did that, and I did that. But now I know the truth, and I walked away. My question to them is always the same. Were you filled with the Spirit of God? Because if not, you weren't a Christian. And they always come back and say, well, you don't get to criticize or judge my walk. And I was like, this isn't me. This is what God says. If you were a Christian, you were filled with his Holy Spirit. If you were filled with the Spirit of the living God, there is absolutely no way you could deny the existence of God because you're filled with the Spirit of God, right? So he goes on and he says this, I do not write to you because you do not know the truth, but because you do know it and because no lie comes from the truth, right? He goes on more about the truth, but then drop down to verse 26. He says, I'm writing these things to you about those who are trying to lead you astray. I'm writing these things to you so that you know that there are false teachers out there who are trying to lead you astray. I'm writing these things to you so that you know there are people out there who are trying to instill unbiblical things in you, which, as we've read, are the doctrines of demons. Right? He says, um, as for you, the anointing you receive from him remains in you, and you do not need anyone to teach you. But as his anointing teaches you about all things, and as that anointing is real, not counterfeit, just as it is taught you, remain in him. So he's saying, hey, first and foremost, because I hear people say this all the time, I don't need any pastor to teach me anything. I can just sit at home and read my Bible for myself, and I don't need to go and be a part of a Sunday celebration. I don't need to be a part of the church. And I say, well, where, where, where in your reading in the Bible do you get that from? Because the whole purpose of Christ calling you to be a part of the church is so that you can be a part of a public assembly. And they, and they often quote this verse that the Holy Spirit will teach you. But this is why they need pastors to teach them. This isn't saying the Holy Spirit will teach you the word of God. The only thing he's been talking about over and over is you know the truth. So the Holy Spirit can teach you the truth. No one should be able to tell you that God isn't real or that Jesus isn't going to return because you have the Holy Spirit that reveals truth. Now, I'm going to put, uh, drop down to chapter 3, verse 1. I'm, I'm going to put that up on screen. Here's what he says, and I put it in an amplified version because it's going to expand on the language. He says in chapter 3, verse 1 of 1 John, See what an incredible quality of love the Father has given, shown, and bestowed on us that we should be permitted to be named and called and counted the children of God. He says, see what an incredible quality of love. And again, that word love is agape. And the reason he's saying look at this incredible quality of love is because the world can't produce that type of love, Right? Because that's the agape, undevotion, uh, or, or uh, unconditional love that God shows to humanity. And because of that love, God allows us to be called children of God. And people get really weird about this, but the truth is if you're filled with the Spirit of God because you stepped across the line of faith and put your faith and trust in God, you are what the Bible calls joint Heirs with Jesus Christ to the kingdom of God. 
He doesn't consider you an employee. He doesn't consider you a subject. He considers you family. And God looks at you as children of God. And he says, and so we are. And the reason the world doesn't know or recognize or acknowledge us is that it doesn't know or recognize and acknowledge him. The reason the world doesn't know and recognize and acknowledge us is because it hates him. The reason the world hates Christians, the reason why people are going into villages and killing hundreds of Christians is because they don't know God and they hate him. The reason why the world is, is treating different treating Christians differently as second-class citizens, like we talked about earlier, is because they don't know and they hate God. The reason why people in our families, in our communities, in our workplace kind of give us the side eye and talk bad about us, if we publicly proclaim our love for God, is because they don't know or acknowledge him. And he goes on and he says, Beloved, we are, even here and now, God's children. And he says, it isn't not yet disclosed, or excuse me, not yet disclosed or made clear what we shall be hereafter. But we know that when he comes, when he is manifested, we shall, as God's children, resemble and be like him, for we shall see him just as he really is. And there are people that talk about, well, will we be able to walk on water? Because that's what Jesus did. Will we be able to, like, levitate when Jesus was caught up in the air? Because that's what Jesus did. Will we be able to do all those things? And John says, we don't know what we will be like. We know that when we step across the line of faith, we're filled with the Spirit of God. So we have this new spirit. We still have the same body, right? We don't look any different. Our body still craves the same things, which is why we get caught up in habitual sin. We have a mind that is being transformed. It's not quite there yet, which is why some of us, we fall back into that sin. We justify the sin. Some of us are able to let go of the sin. But when he returns, then we'll have completed that process and be able to be what God wants all of humanity to be, just like Jesus. His understanding of morality. Does that mean we'll be able to walk on water? I have no idea. Does that mean all of our poles will become useless? I have no idea. But it does mean that we shall see him just as he really is. And he says, and everyone who has this hope, resting on him, cleanses and purifies himself just as he is pure. Every one of us that calls ourselves a Christian, we're supposed to live a life like Christ. But before I get to that, let me summarize this, because here's what he says in this passage. He wants us to know that first and foremost, we are in the last hour. The last hour, meaning we're at the, we're at the end of the last days. And let me clarify that, because I don't want anyone to walk out of here and say, oh, Pastor Floyd said that Jesus is returning today. Not what I said. Didn't say that. Want to make that clear. But we're at a point where it could literally be any day, any month, next year, any time. Jesus could return, right? Um, this is what it says in uh, Matthew 24. For then there will be great tribulation, affliction, distress, and oppression, such as has not been from the beginning of the world until now, no, and never will be again. Just to clarify, Jesus is saying this. So in whatever time you think, 33 AD, Jesus, when he's saying this, is looking back at the beginning of time, and when he refers to what we call the great tribulation, he says it will be so filled with affliction, 
so filled with distress, so filled with people oppressing one another and violence, it will be so filled that there will be nothing like it since the beginning of time. And then Jesus, in 33 AD, is looking to the end of time and saying nothing like that will ever happen. And we look at the world today and we're like, oh, we're in a tribulation. I'm like, I'm sorry to disappoint you, but it's going to get so much worse. If you read through the book of Revelation, it says that. How many people on the planet now? About 7.5, billion. Let's round up. 8 billion people on the planet. According to the book of Revelation, some 2 to 3 billion people, not going to make it. Over the course of a three and a half year time period, and that may seem like a long time, but a lot of them are going to die sooner than that. But over that three and a half year great tribulation, two to three billion people will die. They're going to die because of violence. They're going to die because of war. They're going to die because of sickness and plague. They're going to die because of famine. If we think people are hurting now because they can't put food on their table, they won't be hurting then. They will be dying in the streets. And to put it in comparison, however long, I don't know how they do this, but however long they considered uh, the pandemic to be, I think globally about 7 million people died. So if they say, let's say that was a two-year period, 7 million people died. Over a three-and-a-half-year period, 2 to 3 billion people will die horribly, painfully, because of the great tribulation. And he says, if those days had not been shortened, no human being would endure and survive, but for the sake of the elect, God's chosen ones, those days will be shortened. And remember, this is Jesus speaking. He says, it's going to be so bad. And remember, two to three billion people die in a three and a half year period. And what Jesus is saying is, if I didn't come back and put a stop to it, all life, the other five or however many billion people would die as well. That's how bad the great tribulation will be. So it, it, it doesn't make sense when I hear people say, there's a war in that nation, but everybody else is spending ten, twelve thousand dollars $12,000 to go see the Super Bowl, and they're like, we're in the great tribulation. We're not even close. We're getting progressively worse, but we're not even close. So John says he wants us to know that we are in the last hour, and we do expect Jesus to return. It's not something we hope for. It's not something like, I hope this is right. I hope someone did the math right, and this works out. No, this is something that we know will occur. In the book of Hebrews, it says, even so, it, it is that Christ, having been offered to take upon himself and bears the burden, the sins of many once and for all, will appear a second time, not to carry any burden of sin, nor to deal with sin, but to bring to full salvation those who are eagerly, constantly, and patiently waiting for and expecting him. And when it says bring to full salvation, once you put your faith in Christ, we use that term, yeah, we're saved, but like I said before, we get a new spirit, we don't have a new body, our minds are still struggling to understand it all, but when he returns, he will bring that whole process to fulfillment, and we will experience full salvation. So he, John says, we are in the last hour. We do expect Jesus to return, but here's the key. We should live like we expect Jesus to return, specifically because we know we're in the last hour, 
And we know that he's going to come back. Right? So 2 Peter uh, says this in chapter 3. Uh, he says this, in the day, excuse me, but the day of the Lord, the, the, the bodily, physically return of Jesus to the earth will come like a thief, and then the heavens will vanish, pass away with a thunderous crash, and the material elements of the universe will be dissolved with fire, and the earth and the works that are upon it will be burned up. Now, there is some time in between there, but once Jesus returns, he's begun again that process of, yeah, there's going to be this, this, this thousand-year period of, of people on the earth, but the end result is that he is going to create a new heavens and a new earth, in essence, an entirely new universe, and he says the, the, uh, everything's going to be dissolved with fire, the earth is going to be burned up, and then he says, since all these things are thus in the process of being dissolved, what kind of person ought each of you to be in the meanwhile, and our holy behavior, and our godly qualities? What should we be doing? How should we be acting? How should we be living since we know that Jesus is definitely going to return? And he says, so beloved, since you are expecting these things, since we're expecting the return of Christ, because we know we're in the last hour of the last days, be eager to be found by him at his coming without spot or blemish. We hope you enjoyed the message. If you did, please leave a comment on our webpage, crossroadsofjeffersonhills.com, or our Facebook page. You can also join our Sunday celebration every Sunday at 1037 a.m. We look forward to hearing from you online or in person. Thank you and God bless.